Please tell me more. Because radio reaches people, including those hard-to-get young people. Radio goes where they go and talks their language. Recognizing the importance of contemporary sound, and the sounds are instantly recognizable as belonging to the in-groups currently on top of the charts. CITR, 101.9 FM, Vancouver. It's wild.
and welcome once again to Stereoscopic Readout on 101.9 FM CITR here in Vancouver, UBC Campus Radio, and the show, as always, is your source for psychedelia, garage rock, freak beat, acid punk, folk rock, prog, and other socially and musically relevant artifacts from 1965 to today, and... Tonight we're going to be continuing with part two of the life and music of Sid Barrett. Uh, Last week when we left off, we had basically covered Sid's early life, his involvement with Pink Floyd, and his subsequent uh, departure from, mental departure from reality, um, which partly was due to his, probably some underlying... Um, emotional problems he had from long before when long before the start of the band and were exacerbated by his Olympian drug intake during 1967 so when we last left Sid Barrett had been effectively fired from his own band Um, he had pretty much Co-written, written or co-written, co-written all but one of the songs on Piper of the Gates of Dawn. He had written the two A-sides of their two singles. Actually, written the A-sides of their three singles up to that point. Um, but for the second album, Saucer Full of Secrets, which they began recording tracks for in the summer of 1967, such as Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun, which you just heard, which was recorded in, in August of 1967, his tenuous grip on his sanity had got the better of him. He only actually wrote one song that was included on Saucer Full of Secrets. He did perform on a f- couple of tracks. He recorded, uh, he re- played some guitar, which is quite buried in the mix. Um, I can't really tell. I think it's mainly sort of stock seagull sound effects, but it could be Sid Barrett um, doing his version of what Steve Cropper did on Sitting on the Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding, although we wouldn't that song wouldn't be released until January of 1968, long after that track was recorded. He did play some slide guitar in Remember a Day. He played acoustic guitar on the B-side to Apples and Oranges, a Rick Wright tune called Paintbox, and it is debatable as to whether or not he actually played guitar on Corporal Clegg track on the second album, but could be David Gilmore who replaced him, could be Sid. It's very much in Sid's style, though. And his attempts at writing the third single, which turned out to be Apples and Oranges, um, Scream Thy Last Scream and Jug Band Blues, were rejected by EMI. Scream Thy Last Scream and a potential album track or B-side Vegetable Men were never properly released, at least not while he was in the band and became mainstays of Pink Floyd bootlegs for years to come. On the 26th of January, 1968, uh, it is speculated that was the date. Pink Floyd had a gig in Southampton, and they just simply decided not to pick Sid up on the way out of town to go to the gig. By that point, the band had performed a few shows as a five-piece with David Gilmore on guitar, and basically playing lead guitar and singing while Sid would just kind of stand there. If Sid contributed at all to the band's performance, they thought that they could keep Sid around in sort of a Brian Wilson 
type of arrangement where he wouldn't play live, but he would certainly write and record with the band. But a session referred to as the infamous Have You Got It Yet session proved that even that wouldn't work when Sid's um, passive-aggressive attempts at confusing the rest of the band got the better of them when he just started playing a song that didn't go anywhere and when the band started getting a semblance of understanding how to play the song he would change it on them and sing have you got it yet have you got it yet um i did have some unreleased material and some live material i was going to play last week uh such as in the beachwoods which i definitely was going to play last week however i somehow managed to avoid burning it to disc but i do have it tonight and this is let me just call this up this is the next track we're going to listen to. I think the first thing is a backing track, for something we never actually did, but it's quite a nice sound. Something called Beachwoods, which was something Sid wrote just after Emily. And uh, that's one of the vegetable now, which is the last thing Sid did really with it.
five seconds time with Pat Doody. But here's reaction in F sharp minor by the Pink Floyd. Actually, it's reaction in G, which is about four miles outside Carlisle. I didn't know that. You'll have to tell the AA, my boy. Holy smokes! I can't believe I'm part of the coolest club in the world! Uh, club? Yeah? So, uh, what club is that? CITR! As a club member, I get ginormous discounts on the Friends of CITR card, which in itself, Timmy, I must say, is pretty amazing. I get dirt cheap prices at stores and shops I'm at all the time anyway! To be honest, it feels like being in a club within a club! Wow... Hey, I want a Friends of CITR card. You don't even have to be a member to get one. Although clearly, you'd be that much cooler if you were a member. Go purchase your friends a CITR card down at CITR or at special events they sponsor, such as concerts, membership drives, and shindig. I got it. It feels like having special powers. I go into stores and bam! Discounts. Tis what I said.
Awesome Pink Floyd live in Copenhagen from September 1967. That was an unreleased track called Stoned Alone and preceded that with um, another unreleased track that they performed live a few times in 67, Reaction in G. That particular, excuse me, that particular recording, I can't tell if it's the one that was released or performed on a BBC session or if it was from a Pirate Radio Carlisle. Um, I believe it's the Pirate Radio Carlisle session. Uh, they did a gig in Scotland, which was recorded. And then the froth off the top, uh, a track called In the Beachwoods, which never had any vocals dubbed onto it. That was sort of a bootleg copy of the backing track as such. It was written in 1967, around the time that CMLE Play came out, and has a descending chord pattern, which then this is sort of a tangent, but I've got this, I've noticed that there's a bunch of chord patterns like that which kick around at that time um the most notable of which is from small faces here comes the nice which was released in january 67 as a single um pink floyd obviously would have been aware of that and they certainly did play a bill with uh, small faces in earlier 67 it's possible that they liked that chord progression and copied it. There's another unreleased track, or uh, was officially unreleased, by a band called The Name, which pops up on Side Trips Volume 6, a track called Hello Edith, which has exactly the same chord progression in it. So um, something's going on there, but anyway, that track was never released. There's two major tracks which were recorded and either wiped or never released uh, in the beachwoods being one of them for some reason the band never came back to work on it and another track called she was a millionaire which had been mooted in the summer of 67 as being the follow-up to see emily play as a single but if it was recorded it certainly no longer exists in emi's tape archives however band insiders or people around the band at the time have remarked that it probably was one of Sid's best ever songs, one of the best songs he ever wrote anyway. So after, in early 1968, after Sid had effectively been ousted from Pink Floyd, he kind of departed on what is generally referred to as his lost weekend. He purchased a Morris Mini and drove all around the country, didn't really make many attempts to record until 1969 except for an abortive recording session or a series of recordings from May 1968 which were overseen by his erstwhile manager Peter Jenner who'd managed the Pink Floyd but parted with the Pink Floyd when Sid was fired from the band none of the tracks were ever deemed useful and in fact EMI actively I wouldn't say discouraged but certainly did not encourage Sid to come back making ominous sort of complaints about broken microphones and general disorder in the studio. Some of the tracks recorded during the May 68 sessions were eventually released on the Opal album, which came out in the mid-80s, which is a collection of outtakes and alternate tracks of songs. One of the tracks he attempted was a, was a song called Ramadan, which has appeared on bootlegs as well, and a is essentially nothing more than some chaotic bongo drumming drenched in echo. For some reason, Sid was very, very keen on recording that song and had an idea that it would just be bongo drums and motorcycle sound effects. He did borrow a 
tape recorder from EMI and went on some field recording expeditions sitting on the back of a friend's motorcycle as he drove around London. But on returning to the EMI or on returning to Abbey Road, he it was generally deemed that the f- the um, recordings he'd made were unusable, um, being very dirty and badly recorded tracks. Uh, the engine, but Sid was insistent that it had to be put together right then. So an engineer tried to piece together a motorcycle sound effects loop out of um, stock sound effects from Abbey Road's tape archives. However, by that point, Sid had lost interest and left the studio and the track was never completed. Sid continued to roam around England and eventually checked himself into a sanatorium in Cambridge in in the fall of 1968. However, later in 1969, he went to see the soft machine, which had been pretty much Pink Floyd's main underground rivals during 66 and 67. And he was suitably inspired to go back into the studio so much so that he actually asked Robert Wyatt... Mike Ratledge and Hugh Hopper of the Soft Machine to back him on his solo singles. He contacted EMI and was put under the direction of Malcolm Jones to produce the album. However, Malcolm would eventually enlist the help of David Gilmore to finish the track or to finish the album, which would eventually be known to the world as Madcap Laughs, Sid's first solo album. Sid's mental problems had continued to uh, progress, however, um, and it was noted that if you couldn't get a good take out of Sid in the first couple of takes, it, your your chances of getting a good take would get noticeably slimmer as the attempts wore on. Sid was very easily discouraged. Sid had a philosophy of which he called first take, best take, and if he couldn't get it within the first couple of tries... Um, his self-doubt would creep in and the tracks would get noticeably worse. However, some of the tracks on Madcap Laughs, as you were about to hear, um, were released with some of the later takes, uh, such as most notably Dark Globe, which I think the earlier, I've I've heard an early take of it and it's very good, certainly better than the one which was included on the album. But to give you a taste of what was going on in the studio. This is for a couple of attempts at taping She Took a Long Cold Look. You would hold your head out high. Sorry, that's not it. Uh, There we go. This is um, a couple of outtakes of She Took a Long Cold Look. Okay, I'm ready. She took a long Why don't you start off low? Start off low and go to the high She took a long Yeah, I won't do that. Took a long, cool look at me. She took a long, cool look at me and smiled and gazed all over my arm. She 
loves to see me get down to ground She hasn't time just to be with me A face between all she means to be To be extreme, just to be extreme A broken pier on the wavy sea She wonders why all she wants to see But I got up and I stomped around And hit the piece where the trees touch the ground The end of truth that lay out the time Spent lazing here on a painting green A mile and more in a foreign climb said oh my goodness i'm a stay at home and every time i hear a growl i know the tiger's on the prowl but i'll be really safe you know the elephant he told me so everyone was nervy oh yeah and the message was spread the zebra mongoose and the dirty hippopotamus who wallowed in the mud and chewed his spicy hippoplankton food and tended to ignore the word preferring to survey a herd of stupid water bison oh yeah and all the jungle took fright and ran around for all the day and the night but all in vain because you see the tiger came and said who me you know i wouldn't hurt not one of you i much prefer something to chew and you're all too scant oh yeah he ate the elephant music waste 2009 is now accepting submissions this year's festival runs june 10th to 13th this summer, Music Waste will be celebrating 15 years of independence. As the other local independent music festivals, large and small, have come and gone, Music Waste will once again highlight Vancouver's most interesting and innovative music. A testament to the strength of this musical community and the wealth of talent, Music Waste is Vancouver's independent music festival. Submission deadline, April 15. Please email your submissions to submissions at musicwaste.ca. And, or, for more information, contact Cameron Reed by email at cameron at musicwaste.ca or visit the website at www.musicwaste.ca. Uh, when you experiment with cut-ups over a period of time, you find that some of the cut-ups seem to refer to future events. Yeah. 
Well, we went on to exploit the potentials of the tape recorder. Now, back to modern times. Tapes, tapes, tape recorders. Cut up, slow down, speed up, run backwards, inch the tape. That means uh, working back and forth across the tape head. Hey, girl. Play several tracks at once. Uh, cut back and forth between two recorders. Copyright infringement. Infringement. Copyright. I repeat. Oh no! I pressed the wrong button again. Sample. So cut-ups put you in touch with what you know and and do not know that you know. Exquisite Corpse, Thursday, 7:30 to 9 p.m. on the mighty CITR Radio 101.9, Vancouver. This is not all rock and roll, dude. Oh, where are you now? Pussy willow that smiled on this leaf. When I was alone, you promised a stone from your heart. My head kissed the ground. I was half the way down, treading the sand, please, please lift a hand, I'm only a person whose armband's beads on his hands hang tall, won't you miss me, wouldn't you miss me at all? Birds way, swing twigs, coffee brands around. Brandish a wand with a feathery tongue. My head kissed the ground. I was half the way down. Treading the sand. It's no good trying to place your hand Where I can't see Because I understand that you're different from me Yes, I can tell that you can't be what you pretend And you're rocking backwards and you're rocking No. 
back on 101.9 FM CITR <clears throat> and stereoscopic readouts look at the life and music of Sid Barrett um, that was a collection of tracks from his 1969 project his first solo album the Madcap Laughs which was released in January 1970 started off with some alternate takes of She Took a Long Cold Look and then played uh, a BBC session recording of Effervescing Elephant, which is one of which was one of his the first songs he ever wrote. The first song it's generally considered to be Golden Hair, the first one he wrote, putting a James Joyce poem to music. And if you go to www.citr.ca, you can download the podcast of last last week's show, which was part one of our look at Sid Barrett. Effervescing Elephant was probably written by Sid when he was in his early teens, became his sort of party piece, um, a song he'd drag out when he was out with friends and if there was an acoustic guitar kicking around. Followed Effervescing Elephant. We actually will we'll end our look at Sid Barrett with the studio version of Effervescing Elephant from his second album, Barrett, which was released in November 1970. But um, followed that with Dark Globe, as released on The Madcap Laughs. And then No Good Trying, and the last track, Octopus, which was also, which was actually released as a single, his first solo single, towards the end of 1969, with Golden Hair as the B-side. As previously mentioned, the sessions for The Madcap Laughs were not only particularly difficult because it entailed getting a good take out of Sid within the first couple of tries. But he also enlisted the help of the band The Soft Machine to back him on the tracks and it was quickly discovered that it was impossible for them to accompany him because every time they would do a run-through, and not only, not only was Sid's sort of sense of timing, as you're definitely hearing right now, completely skewed, probably by his overindulgence in LSD, which made it difficult for anybody to sort of accompany him because you'd chop basically beats out of a song or add extra beats to a chorus, but that he wouldn't do it the same way twice. The soft machine would note that they'd say, hey, Sid, that was you played it differently last time, and he'd go, oh, yeah, and not even acknowledge that he wasn't going to do it the different way yet again. On top of that... They soon felt so. Basically, they found that the most effective way of accompanying or providing backing tracks was to just let Sid record a bed track with his vocals and his acoustic guitar, and then try to learn it as best they could and accompany it later through overdubs. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, David Gilmore and Rick Wright of Pink Floyd would also accompany Sid on the recording of the album. The BBC session in 
which Effervescing Elephant was taken from, was recorded in February 1970 with David Gilmore on bass and a drummer named Jerry Shirley, who be, who said would take to the stage with again later on in June of 1970 for a show at the Olympia. However, they only got through about four songs when Jerry Shirley remembers Sid in the middle of Gigolo Ant simply put his guitar down and walked off stage, effectively ending the show. As I noted before, Sid's mental health really didn't get any better and in fact continued to along the same erratic course that it had when he was in the Pink Floyd. Playing with Sid could be a crapshoot. Sometimes he would be all over the place. Um, His timing would be completely off. He'd be rambling, incoherent, and would probably not do much of anything. And other times he would be spot on playing guitar better than he'd ever played in Pink Floyd which would come back to haunt him in 1971 and 72. Sid continued to live a very erratic lifestyle, surrounded by sort of hippie hangers-on, people with no direction in life, and some outright junkies. However, during all this, he managed to get engaged to a model named Gayla Pinion. He'd switched from abusing LSD to abusing uh, barbiturates and downers such as mandrax and largactyl. What on earth is it? Somebody's moving some heavy equipment around for uh, Thunderbird Radio Hell. Actually, that reminds me, Exquisite Corpse is coming up at 7.30, hosted by Bleak, but um, Bleak is taking care of some family matters in Tacoma this week. So he will have a kind of, I won't say greatest hits. It's sort of a bits and pieces of past shows. It's a recap, as it were, show coming up. So it's not entirely all new stuff on this pre-recorded version of Exquisite Corpse, which is coming up. But it's kind of like, I guess, an omnibus edition or greatest hits or something like that. Nine o'clock. Ben is in for live from Thunderbird Radio Hell. That goes till 11 when Linus comes in and takes over with Hypnotic Groove for an hour until midnight when Pierre kicks oral tentacles into gear for the rest of the evening, probably till 6 o'clock in the morning. Anyway, where was that? Yes, Sid's erratic behavior continued. He got engaged to a model from Cambridge named Gail Opinion. Um, and not unlike his relationship with Lindsay Corner, it was quite a, it, was, it could be a violent relationship. However, he did get engaged to her, and at some point later on, in, in October of 1970, he took Gayla back to meet his family in Cambridge. And Gayla, during an interview, recounts a story of, in the middle of dinner, Sid getting up from the table, walking upstairs to the bathroom, and methodically cutting all his hair off. With his newly shorn hair, he then he then returned to the table and continued eating without a word. And the family didn't bat an eyelid. Um, the song "Wined and Dined" from his second album, which was released in November 1970, entitled "Barrett," was about Gala. Needless to say, he broke the relationship off. The recording for Barrett was even more problematic than was probably as problematic, I should say, as Madcap Laughs, except by this point, Barrett was so strung out on Quaaludes, Mandrax, and Largactyl 
that most of the songs which he hadn't already written probably at the beginning of even of his um tenure with Pink Floyd turned out to be just lazy sort of druggy shuffles of songs. However, he did come up with a few very memorable tracks such as to do to to such as Gigolo Aunt one of his most beloved tracks um and I'm going to play that next but I'm going to play another version of it recorded during the BBC session with Jerry Shirley and David Gilmore in January or sorry February of 1970 this is a live version or sort of studio live version of Gigolo Aunt
Everything to you was 
Say today when you're in the Milky Way. Oh, tell me, please, just to give you a squeeze. If I met you, I told you what to do. Seems a while since I could smile away. Times if I try, if I may, when you're in the Milky Way. Half of your time beside me only. The atmosphere, the singular, raised by heat and wet. Seems a while since I could smile away.
back with you on stereoscopic readouts look at the life and music of sid barrett here on 101.9 fm citr and that was an outtake from the barrett sessions recorded in 1970 that was milky way which would eventually appear on the opal album in the mid 80s the opal album was also meant to include the tracks or the studio versions of the tracks scream thy last scream and vegetable man which had been recorded by pink floyd and it even been remixed for that um particular release by malcolm jones who'd sort of started off the madcap laughs sessions in 69 however the band uh, blocked their inclusion in that compilation started off with Gigolo Ant from the BBC session recorded in February of 1970 with Jerry Shirley and David Gilmore followed with Rats and I Never Lied to You, which were taken from the Barrett album released in November 1970. Sid moved back to Cambridge after this period and in 1971 he played a couple of shows um, backing some poets and other musician friends of his from Cambridge when he was approached by Twink, um, John Twink Alder, a former drummer from Tomorrow and the Pretty Things and the Pink Fairies on the idea of putting together a project which was to be called entitled Stars. They recruited a bass player by the name of Jack Monk and played rehearsed extensively in Sid Barrett's basement, or rather Sid Barrett's mother's basement, which is where Sid was living at the time. They did play a couple of shows, the two most notable of which were a free performance in the Market Square in the center of Cambridge outdoors, and then a show on the 24th of February at the Corn Exchange in Cambridge. Um, They opened for the MC5 Technically, but what ha- what it was was Skin Alley opened the show, MC5 headlined, and then Stars closed the show. However, Sid was quite unnerved by the prospect of being in front of a very large audience um, again, and the show was apparently not very good. The critical negative critical reaction to the show ensured that Sid quit the band the following day. And that, in effect, was Sid's final ever public performance of his music. He would go back into the studio in 1974 with Peter Jenner at the helm to record some, to record what possibly could have been a third album. However, he was too far gone at that point. Um, he didn't actually even have any lyrics written, and it is speculated by the engineer, uh, one of the engineers who was on the session, um, that. He probably was making much many of the songs up as he went along. Certainly, the certainly the the song titles which were written on the tape boxes stored at EMI bear witness to that fact. There's only one actual song title called "If You Go, Don't Be Slow." The rest are have throwaway titles such as "Bo Diddley Song" and and I'm not making this up. "Chuka Chuka Chug Chug." Um. Actually, as a side note, one of the engineers on that aborted 1974 recording project was John Leckie, who would eventually go on to record the Stone Roses and another num- and a number of other notable um, British bands in the 1990s. 
Eventually, it was noted by one of the engineers that if Sid Barrett left the studio and turned left on his way out the door, he'd come back in. But if he turned right on his way out the door, he would leave. He would be effectively gone for the day. So nothing from that, nothing from that series of sessions have ever uh, surfaced. Probably not even on bootleg format. Sid's final public appearance of note would occur in 1975 when Pink Floyd were in Abbey Road Studios recording tracks for Wish You Were Their Wish You Were Here album. And in fact, the day they were recording the song Shine On You Crazy Diamond, which is about Pink, which is about Sid, Sid wandered into the studio unannounced. And it took a little while for the rest of the band to recognize it was him because by this point he'd put on a lot of weight and shaved his head. When the band finally noticed who he was, their former manager Andrew King went up to him and asked him what had happened, commenting on his physique. Sid said, I've got a very large fridge in the kitchen and I've been eating a lot of pork chops. His sister Rosemary later on made the odd claim that Sid was Sid had actually known exactly what he was doing when he appeared at the Pink Floyd session saying that it was it was his idea of a joke which could also very well point in the direction of his erratic behavior being some form of passive aggression towards the rest of the band and that effectively was it for the career of Sid Barrett there are two quotes which really describe this the whole story best one is uh from an interview in 1971 sid said i don't think i'm easy to talk about i've got a very irregular head and i'm not anything that you think i am anyway later on in the memory of sid barrett um excuse me roger waters would say basically sum up sid barrett's contribution to the pink floyd as it couldn't have happened without him but it couldn't have continued with him sid would make one last foray to London in 1981 and lived there for a few weeks but he returned to to Cambridge permanently eventually living on his own after his mother died and would be tracked down by fans hounded by tabloid photographers who every now and again would want to do a story on whatever happened to Sid Barrett his sister uh, claimed that he did excuse me his sister claimed that he did actually go over to her place in November 2001 to watch the BBC documentary about him on the TV show Omnibus. Although apparently he enjoyed hearing CM Lee play again. And Sid Barrett died on Friday the 7th of July 19 or sorry 2006 of pancreatic cancer, uh, not complications from diabetes as was recorded or reported at the time. He left an estate worth 1.25 million pounds to his family. Then this is testimony to the efforts of the rest of the band, primarily David Gilmore, that to ensure that he got all royalties that were due to him to make sure that he was doing okay. His sister actually had requested that the um, the people who knew him from the Pink Floyd not visit him anymore because apparently um, seeing his old friends would send him into a depression that would last weeks. But they would check him and check in on him fairly frequently. Anyway, that concludes our look at the life and music of Sid Barrett. And in conclusion, this is possibly the second track Sid ever wrote. Effervescing Elephant has recorded for the Barrett album.
An effervescing elephant with tiny eyes and great big trunk once whispered to the tiny ear, the ear of one inferior, that by next June he'd die. Oh yeah, because the tiger would roam. The little one said, Oh my goodness, I must stay at home. And every time I hear a growl, I'll know the tiger's on the prowl, and I'll be really safe, you know. The elephant, he told me so. Everyone was nervy, oh yeah, and a message was spread to zebra mongoose and the dirty. Hippopotamus who wallowed in the mud and chewed his spicy hippoplankton food and tended to ignore the word, preferring to survey a herd of stupid water bison. Oh yeah, and all the jungle took fright and ran around for all the day and the night, but all in vain because you see the tiger came and said, "Who me? You know I wouldn't hurt not one of you. I much prefer something to chew, and you're all too scant." Oh yeah, he ate the elephant. You are listening to Stereoscopic Readout on 101.9 FM CITR, and we are into the last 15 minutes of the show, so to fill up a bit of time, um, I mentioned the Soft Machine helping Sid record his first solo album, The Madcap Laughs, in 1969, and this is Hope for Happiness, the first song off the Soft Machine's first album.
Soft Machine from their first album entitled Soft Machine, released in 19, recorded towards the end of 1968 anyway. Um, that was actually a few tracks from it. Um, started with Hope for Happiness and then heard Joy of a Toy, 
before we went to a reprise of Hope for Happiness. So that effectively is a stereoscopic readout for this week here on 101.9 FM, CITR in Vancouver, UBC Campus Radio, a pre-recorded show, a pre-recorded version of Exquisite Corpse is up next. And just actually last thing on the subject of Sid Barrett I wanted to impart to you is uh, most of the information um, given over the past two shows, and then once again the podcast of both shows is can downloadable at www.citr.ca. Last week's wasn't terribly happy with my performance. Um, thought it went a little bit better this week, but if you're ever looking for a um, a good source of information on the man himself, there's a book by Julian Palacios entitled "Lost in the Woods: Sid Barrett and the Pink Floyd" that is published most. Well, Came out in 99, as far as I remember, on Boxtree, or in, by Boxtree Publishing? Yes. ISBN 07522-23283. It's a good read. Um, It's about a complete, a compendium as the available wisdom of, on Pink Floyd, as is available up to that point, called almost entirely from interviews uh, with people by the author and from reprinting interviews with the band members published from the 60s onwards. Anyway, it's a good read. I highly recommend it. It can be a bit preachy in places. But as I said, that's pretty much it for me this week. I'm going to leave you with Toronto's Kensington Market This from their first album, Avenue Road is Looking Glass.
provides information, peer counseling, and crisis support to the UBC community. Speakeasy volunteers are carefully chosen.